Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not, oops, I think that's the end, sorry. <laughs> we won't go into the dogs. All right, and the other scripture reading is from James chapter 4, found on page 568, if you have one of these. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, do not, oh, sorry, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe it seems like old news now, but we're reminded of it as we uh, feel a little raindrops here. Hurricane Sally uh, certainly has affected some of those that we love and care about. Uh, the, this is our sound man, the media man. Give it up for John. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the aisles, right? They're wrestling with that uh kind of the results of hurricane season uh, we're praying for them and loving them and hoping that kind of make it through that but it's done a lot of damage right it's, it's wrecked homes it's toppled trees it's uh it's it's flooded streets and there's some approximations uh, that like 500,000 people have lost power uh, and others estimate that there's going to be two to three billion dollars in damage so it's a significant amount of damage from a hurricane and hurricanes are these things that we can like we can see right we can track them on the, the weather radar and we can watch kind of the, the cone and the, and the storm and it's interesting sometimes we deal with them up here but everyone's aware of hurricanes but what about termites maybe you've had a run in with termites and termites are are not like the flashy disaster they're they're not as attention grabbing they're, they do an approximated five billion dollars worth of damage every year so hurricane does two to three billion termites do five billion dollars worth of damage every year to u.s homes. statistically termites do more damage in america than massive storms termites work quietly storms get all the focus all the attention they damage around six hundred thousand homes every year so it's much easier to see what like a storm does or what termites do it's much easier to identify the thing the problem that's out there that's visible everyone can see that sometimes there's something on the inside working away at the structure working away at the wood that brings much more damage I want to parallel this today and use it as an illustration to say there's much more, it's, it's much easier to see the obvious sins in our world, the obvious brokenness, their sin, their brokenness, than it is to see mine. 
much easier to see their storm than my termites. And the Bible says to take a close look at ourselves, at our own hearts and our own termites. Before we judge the storm out there to examine the rot in here. And it gives us the ability to do this because of Jesus, because of the cross. The, the, the cross is this great symbol of love, that God loved us enough to send his son to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. Wow, God must really love me if, if he's willing to lay down his life for me. This cross tells us that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to look at our own sins, to examine our own hearts, because we're loved. And then when we do recognize issues, when we do recognize problems, we can confess it and repent and receive forgiveness. Be washed anew. So kind of the, the first point of my sermon this morning is that we do need to get real with others. But before we do that, I need to get real with myself. I need to get real with myself before I can get real with others. Now, in a, in a lifetime ago, I, I was going through this period of my life where I thought, maybe I'll join the Marine Corps. You guys know me. I'm super tough, right? Like, <laughs> sounds like something Jonathan can or should do. Probably not. But I, I was going uh, to, to check that out, and they asked you some questions, and got the question, do you have, like, allergies? And I said, yeah, well, I get allergy shots. So they asked the question again. I said, yeah. <laughs> asked the question again. I got the idea. No, no, I've been cured of my allergies. <laughs> it was amazing. Just like that. Uh, and yet, this was a lie, right? It's kind of funny, but it's a lie. And I went through the kind of the examination process, and I went down to this medical entrance processing center, and I went through the day. And I was feeling kind of proud. Yeah, I'd been working out, I'd been getting ready, and I felt like I was in better shape than everyone else that was there, and well, I was going to make a great, a great Marine Corps officer. But then I realized as the, the, the testing went through, and I just the Holy Spirit was just working on my heart saying, well, if you can't lead yourself, like, how are you going to lead others? You can't be honest to yourself. How are you going to be honest with others? That's kind of what this passage is saying today. If you can't be honest with yourself, how can you be honest with others? Honesty starts here, examining ourselves and getting real with ourselves before we get real with others. Now, Jesus said it much better than I'm ever going to say it today. Jesus said it like this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So before I can ever help anyone else, I need to recognize the ways that I need to be helped. I need to see my own brokenness. It's like trying to give directions blindfolded. Right? Someone comes to you and asks how to, to get to... Uh, Acton or Groton wearing a blindfold. They don't want you to just give them an address through GPS. Maybe this is like a dated illustration now <laughs> since we all have our iPhones. 
You need to, I like this phrase, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Why don't we use that more in everyday lingo? Apparently that comes from a nationwide uh, uh, advertisement about brake checking back in the 1970s. The sign said, check it before you wreck it. Check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Jesus said it like this, judge not that you be judged. For the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, before you ever start taking account of someone else, take account of yourself. Now, this doesn't mean you can't ever use judgment. You can't ever use discernment. You can't ever correct someone. Jesus says earlier, he says, you know, take the speck out of your eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye. We go through a kind of a, a period, a season of examining our own hearts prayerfully, thoughtfully, so that we can help other people with their hearts too. And we hope that other people will do that for us, don't we? They won't just come in and try to take the speck out of our eyes before they've gone through a season of reflection and seeing how God might want to do something in their lives first. This passage describes kind of this like self-righteous judgmentalism. Not saying that judgment is wrong in all times and all places. Self-righteous judgment is. And so we want to be fair. We want to come before the Lord. We remember King David. Remember, this guy was called like a man after God's own heart. Like you're, we're pretty sure that God doesn't play favorites, but then it's like, are you sure? Like David seems like one of your favorites. <laughs> David committed adultery, murdered, and yet God loved him. He prayed this. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we did. We pray. We say, God, would you search my heart? Would you lead me in eternal life? Open my eyes so I can see how I've contributed to this sin and this problem. See, sometimes we want, might be too easily offended. I know I am easily offended, and that's something God is working on in my heart. To be overly sensitive. Maybe you've heard this passage. You've been to a wedding recently. Well, Imagine you're in 2019 and you've been to a wedding recently, or you've watched like a live stream of a wedding recently. One of the passages that they talk about, you might you might hear this passage, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Does anyone want to get married? We've got to have the service done right here. This is a passage we usually hear when it comes to weddings, right? But do you know this passage is primarily just about the church? It's for us, for the church family. Man, I need to hear those words, love is patient, love is kind. I need to hear them so badly. When I was uh, in Asia on a trip recently, they had like this artwork. I was like, I need to buy that artwork because it had the love is patient. And it's hanging in my office as a reminder, love is patient, love is kind, because I need to hear that. Maybe you do too. It's not easily angered. Proverbs says it is one's glory to overlook an offense. And it's glorious when we overlook offenses. Yeah. It glorifies God. And there's like this like little me glory in that. I, I don't know how that works. We're going to let God figure that out. 
sometimes the ones we love or the ones that offend us, they're not really sinning. They're just doing something that's different than how I would do it. You know? Maybe it's a different cultural thing. Maybe God just designed them in a different way to think differently than I think. It's not sin. It's just difference. There's something to be gained there. So sometimes I'm too easily offended, and sometimes I might be at fault. I might be part of the problem. And that's where we get to James today. James is so good at correcting like our, our wrongs. It's kind, of, it's kind of saying, like, when you you know point the one finger at someone else, remember there's the there's three fingers pointing back at you. Verses one through three says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That's a good question. What does cause it, James? Well, it is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Oh, it's in my heart. There's something about me. There's something that I have done. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Oh, James, stop it. When I want something, what do I do? I desire that thing and I come up with reasons to validate why I need that thing, why I want that thing, why God must want me to have that thing. It is my God-given right to have that thing. If you're not giving me that thing, you're, you must be in sin. No, not at all. Sometimes we disguise selfishness and sin behind a veil of Christian virtue. For example... When my lovely son acts out, when he won't listen, when I ask him to put, a, to put his toys away, or when he wants more of his favorite TV show and he gets frustrated, and I think, why won't my son just obey me? Why won't he just be obedient and do the things I ask? Doesn't he know that God has given me to him to lead him? It's easy to get frustrated, but then I remember, like, he's two years old. And uh, let's give it some time. And I might have contributed to the problem because I might not have given him a good nap time. Or I gave him too much TV time earlier. So suddenly I'm I'm actually part of the problem. There are ways that I can respond to change the situation. Together we can have, have a reset. How about marriage? Let's talk about marriage. Sometimes when I come home, there there's laundry... Uh, Leftover, there's a kitchen floor that needs to be cleaned. There are dirty dishes. And yes, I did run this by my wife prior to sharing this with you. <laughs> it's easy to feel frustrated with a husband or a wife. And I'm sure all, everyone else can think of the own, the, kind of those rubbing points in your life. It's easy to think, like, don't, doesn't my, my spouse know how important those things are? Don't they know that cleanliness is next to godliness? Book of Hezekiah? It's not a book. It's not a verse. We can we can do it as a foundation verse if you want. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. And actually it begins to re, to kind of reveal something in my heart. Why do I need it like this? Why do I need it my way? Maybe I'm a part of the problem. Maybe I'm too easily offended. Maybe this is just me trying to be God. To control because the world out there is big it's scary you know we can't control the weather <laughs> can't control our jobs we can't control like our neighbors our family our circumstances and so those places that we can control our homes our kids our spouses 
We try. It just creates brokenness. And we need grace, and I'm sorry. We do need to get real with ourselves. Getting real with others requires real relationship. If you want to correct someone, you want to say, hey, you could have done this differently. This didn't honor God. Then you need a relationship with them. I've made this mistake too many times where I didn't have enough relationship. So we need to know that we care about each other before we try to correct each other. If we're not spending time with each other, I don't think we really have the right to speak truth into one another's life. We have to demonstrate that love. And there will be times when we need to get real with others. The point of this sermon is not to say you can't ever get real with one another, you can't correct sin. It's to say, let's go through a process of looking at our own hearts. Let's make sure that we have a relationship, and then let's make sure this really is sin. Ken Sandy talks uh, the book, The Peacemaker, and resolving everyday conflict, and he talks about getting real, and kind of gives these four, these four areas that we can know, like, okay, so maybe we should have a conversation. And number one is that their sin dishonors the name of Jesus. So maybe a brother or sister in Christ, they publicly profess, like, I am a Christian, but then, you know, a night that week, they're getting drunk at the bar or in the dorm, cheating on tests, or yelling at a store clerk for not giving them the, the deal that they wanted, or yelling at the referee, <laughs> that's not right, or cheating the uh, you know, IRS out of taxes. And so when we claim to be Christians, we need to make sure that our lives align with what it means to honor Christ in all things. And hear me, like, I don't necessarily mean this when it comes to preferences, right? Can you believe how that Christian acted, what that Christian did? Well, if you're telling another Christian what that Christian did, <laughs> already you're gossiping and you're not really honoring Jesus, right? The Bible wants us to talk directly to one another, to not pass the grapevine, to not kind of continue the gossip. So we get real when... The sin dishonors the name of Jesus. And number two, when the, the sin damages your relationship with them. So you found that like our, somehow this sin that this person did, it, it's like it's, 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 um, it's becoming a wall between us. We don't want that wall to destroy, to divide. Hebrews talks about the root of bitterness. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's like this image of like a yard. You know, in New England we have our, our lovely yards. They're so temperamental, but like when I bought my house, there was a few weeds here and there. I was like, oh, that's fine. We won't worry about that. And now my yard is full of weeds. <laughs> Five years later. You know, weeds are green. <laughs> it springs up and it keeps growing. The root of bitterness. And so it starts in one place and it spreads. And so we want to make sure that if there is something between you and me, 
something between us that we address it, we talk it through. I'm so grateful when people come to me and say, hey, I'm not always grateful. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't always respond well. I like it when I do respond well. But thank you when you come to me. And if you have a problem with each other or with me, like go, go to each other. Make sure that that root of bitterness doesn't spring up. Another reason to address is if the sin is hurting others. Proverbs has this, this wise proverb says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. That's when you listen, you're on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof is led, uh, leads others astray. There's sin in leading others astray. How about being divisive? That's not something we ever struggle with, right? Titus says this, it says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. That's pretty stiff. Divisiveness hurts. We can certainly take stock of the sins that we've each personally been hurt by, can't we? We can think of family members and friends and church members and pastors and people we love and care about who have hurt us just simply through their sin. If we were to make a list of everyone that we've hurt, that list would probably be pretty long. And so we want to address that. We don't want to let the let the blocks continue to, to fall. I want to build something new. Now, how about this one? This one's kind of the last one, number four. How about if their sin is hurting them? They don't really know it. This is this one's tough because we live in a culture where it says if it's not hurting anyone else. I don't want to hear it. The Bible says that we need to address it, whatever form it is and whatever whatever brokenness it is. That's really hard. I don't know the right way to do that, but James says this. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow, there's reward in that. There's, re there re there's reward in being willing to have those hard conversations. And God knows that we can't control the outcome of those hard conversations, but we do it out of love. See, it costs something. It risks something to have those hard conversations, doesn't it? It risks your relationship. It risks your friendship. It risks your comfort. It risks anger and further division. It risks yourself. Good thing we have someone in our faith who risked himself for us. He risked anger and division and brokenness and even death so that we could be united in him. That's what the gospel message is, that he loved us enough to lay down his life for us, and so we do it with each other. And it's not always that big, extravagant, oh, I'm going to die for this person. It's more of those simple everyday things. I'm going to lay down my life for this person. I'm going to lay down my comfort and my joy for this person. To have that hard conversation. When we do that, when the sin dishonors the name of Jesus, when it damages the relationship, when it damages others, when it damages them. See, Jesus got real with us to rescue us. Jesus came preaching repentance. You only do that with people that are broken. 
And yet Jesus loved us. Andy talked about in the service just a little while ago that Jesus ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. Now, that should inspire us, that motivates us, that Jesus came to hang out with people like me, those that are far worse than me. And so we're to do the same. We're to be like Jesus in that way. If you don't know Jesus, I want to say today today can be the day you meet him. Today can be the day that you get real with God and God gets real with you through Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do, to reconnect your relationship with the living God. To reconnect my relationship with the living God, to give me grace and to give us grace and to create this new community of people who are working it out. We're trying to get real with each other, but can only do it by God's grace. My prayer is that we will be a community that continues to work this out. It's a journey. It's, it's a step, one step at a time. And in the age of COVID, it seems like we're all kind of separate. We're all kind of further apart. Yet I believe that God can do something that actually brings us together spiritually and in greater unity as we learn to love one another and care for each other and get real with each other. And we can do that because Jesus got real with us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together outdoors. And how wonderful it's been to see a church family and visitors and just be here in your presence. Lord, thank you that we can do this. We pray that even those cars driving by would think, hey, what's going on there? And Lord, help us to get real with each other and help us to get real with you, to experience your grace and your love in our lives and to remember Jesus who laid down his life for us. So it's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. And we all say, amen.